Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. to 100 words or less with ray harkins what is up everybody i am sitting here in the united kingdom but that will not stop me from bringing you another episode of this fine show about independent music punk hardcore indie rock emo whatever it is as long as it is in that small sweaty room space with the idea that this stuff is embedded in our dna especially us old people, like myself, but not not pointing at you. You could be maybe older than me, maybe younger than me. Those are the only two options, or maybe the same exact age. <laughs> but I am so incredibly excited. I know, like week after week, you hear me doing this. I am so ex- I am so I am so excited. But this one is a special one for me because I had to uh, uh, punish him on social media because <laughs> that's what we do these days in order to uh, you know maybe set up interviews or whatever. But Don Devore, he. Played guitar in Ink and Dagger, also played in Frail, and then he currently plays in a band called Collapsing Scenery, but then also has done a lot of other cool projects musically related, and uh, he's just a lifer. He is a extremely creative individual, and I've always uh, watched him from afar and admired him, and then finally was like, you know what? I, I really want someone from Ink and Dagger who can speak to that real experience, because if you are not familiar with Ink and Dagger, let me let me paint a little picture. But hold on, let me talk about the nice things you can do for the show. For one, you can email the show one hundred words podcast at gmail.com. I always uh, read those, appreciate the feedback, appreciate guest ideas, or just saying hi. I, I like all of those things. Uh, two, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a star rating on Spotify. Those things all help the legitimacy of this show in other people's eyes, and of course, the almighty algorithm 
all of those things that we battle against when we are trying to get our stuff discovered. So I, I, I also want to mention the fact that this, uh, this show has seen a resurgence of listeners. Like, typically speaking, I hover around, you know, a, a certain amount of people per episode, but there's been a, a recent surge, and I appreciate that. And that's awesome, because that means either you guys are really resonating with a guest and spreading the word and telling people. Uh, I just want you to know that that is not lost on me. Anytime we are, um, you know, kind of getting the show out there collectively, I really appreciate that. And on top of it, you need to go to Outbreak Festival. I am going to be doing live podcasts there this coming weekend, and I'm very excited about it because, uh, yeah, I'm not going to tell you who I will be interviewing, but there's a whole separate stage called the Talk Stage where I do some half-an-hour chats with people each and every day of the festival, and I'm uh, I'm so excited about it because uh, not only is it a music festival, a very good music festival, the 10-year anniversary of said music festival, but uh, you know, I get to hang out with all of you kind people who have dropped me notes being like, hey, see you there. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. And also, I got merch. I got merch I'm going to bring over for the very first time this podcast after you know 10 years of existence. I, am, uh, I decided to do merch. You know, It's a really small run, but uh, if you're interested, You'll be able to do that, and then maybe if I have some leftovers, I'll toss them up on the internet. Anyways, all that self-promotion aside, Don DeVore, Ink and Dagger, Frail. So Ink and Dagger, they dressed up like vampires <laughs> when they first began and put out their first record, and we talk a lot about that, and kind of the you know general conceit of the band was always to push buttons and question what it was that uh, you know was existing within the scene, and Frail, the Band that predated Ink and Dagger was so monumental. I know for many of us, including myself, where it's like, I just, I really love the fact that Veil or Veil, <laughs> that Frail was this straight edge hardcore band that kind of existed in tandem with all of these other bands that sonically had nothing to do with them. So it's like we talk a lot about the early touring that Frail did with Chokehold, and sonically, they could not be any different, but uh, they they found a kinship. And so, anyways, there was so much I wanted to discuss with Don. He's an incredibly open individual. We had a, a very, uh, I guess, loose and philosophical discussion. So, you know, this is a little bit different than uh, the other discussions I've had. They're all unique, but this one is definitely unique. So, anyways... Here is Don. Please check out his all of his stuff because he is well worth the investment and the time. So I I I just am so excited to have Don. So here we go. And of course, at the end of the episode, I will always tell you what's happening next week. So here we go. Here is Don from Making Dagger, Frail, Collapsing Scenery, and all the other cool stuff. Ink and Dagger and Frail are uh, huge in my sort of punk and hardcore upbringing as uh, both of the bands brought so much energy and were so inherently unique for what was happening at those particular times. You know, it's, I mean, nice. Frail was definitely a band that 
didn't fit in anywhere. Ink and Dagger was a band that really didn't fit in anywhere. And, you know, arguably a lot of the music that you do doesn't necessarily fit in anywhere as far as the scene is concerned. But you, yeah, (laughs) but, and I guess on that, you strike me as a person who just likes to, you know, kind of skirt the edges of scenes, but do things, you know, a bit differently. Has that always been just kind of, you know, looking back on your music and your, uh, the, the art that you put out, is that sure. uh, a proper reflection? Um, I think the, the, the quest for authenticity in art is a, a, a mammoth task. And um, it's always, you know, like speaking of Frail, uh, you know, my, my initial sort of a gateway into understanding that you know, music can be not only a passion, but a sort of a, a, a sort of vein that runs through you, pulsing that creates all these other opportunities and feelings, and and uh, you know, uh, processing and sort of communicating that to the world. And for instance, with Frail, um, you know, from like, you know, like playing on a stage. I mean, it still kind of is, but like playing on a stage was the idea of that was so corny. It was like, what are we doing up here? Right. Like, and although that went against the sort of, you know, and like, I mean, we weren't the first band to do that, but uh, as far as our like involvement with the crowd, AKA scene that even would have a potential of knowing about us, I, you know, yeah, it started even before that. We're trying to express that in a unique way that, um, you know, later with the Philadelphia Society of Future Vampires that Sean and I started, uh, you know, the most unique quality one could have was was genuine free will, genuine um, output with the least amount of influence from anything else. Uh, and there's a certain confidence, you know, that comes with making things that are not a part of uh, a sort of quantified situation already exist. I mean, the first Ink and Dagger show uh, that ever even happened at this house, uh, Six and Bainbridge in Philly, um, with, uh, who played? I think, like, uh, Eric Warhan and Tim Heidecker's, like, uh, experienced band played. I think he was first. I think he was having wearing, like, a dinosaur costume or something. Sure, sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> It was actually at his apartment that Sean lived with Eric. And, um, but you know, we, even by then show number one, we were drastically into music. that was, uh, well beyond like hardcore, you know, we were, you know, Sean already had an Aphex twin tattoo. Um, <laughs> but the, the relationship with that world is totally where we operated. Of course. Um, but as far as the innate, you know, maybe I like to think of it maybe romanticized a little bit from a long tradition of Philadelphia artists like Sun Ra and, you know, really pushing like what it means to have expression, you know, what it means to uh, not be afraid to, to express. I mean, it was, you know, an outrageous thing. You know, I remember, you know, as far as presenting ourselves, um, you know, with the makeup and, uh, you know, the sort of uh, drama of things, like 
especially in the sort of punk world, you know, maybe like Dead Kennedys or from that era, you know, there's a sort of ceremony that people weren't afraid of. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, break down the walls rips. And I love anything Walter touches basically, but past that it's limited for how inspired I can get from certain, like, like man lifting banner in Europe, best, most unrated, underrated hardcore band that's ever existed. Very Um, good. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as we were like, how do we push this? How do we like, you know, fuck it. Everyone gets covered in blood. Everyone's girlfriend, everybody's boyfriend, you know, the people working there, the lights go off. We'd have like 10 other people while we were playing involved in like a sort of spectacle. Like right when this happens, like, you know, Robbie has to kill all the lights and we have people come from the aisles and soak everybody in the dark has to be in the dark. Cause you might just like get murdered if you see who does it, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, and from the beginning, just a fine, I, I think being exposed to a lot of like sort of the earlier world of like very, uh, uh, scene driven, like techno kind of world, not what most people are thinking of, but like very associated to like the sort of hardcore scene and, uh, you know, and, you know, I have a soul side tattoo, you know, I was like, you know, you're in it. Yeah, there was, yeah, there was, there was never, a, but there was, you know, the sort of frail influence was very, yeah, we were like very much a straight edge band, but our, our, our idea of that was drastically different than some other people's, just like everything else in the world. So pushing that forward and, uh, there couldn't have been more, you know, have you ever heard this? Uh, there's like a plexi with a spoken word on it. For, I, I mean, just like hearing spoken word in general or just no, the... like uh, on, the, on the frail discography or something. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a born against rip, but, um, right. <laughs> uh, but like Eric's voice cracking and like, I, like, I promise every word out of that guy's mouth couldn't have been more sincere. And, yeah. uh, you know, you know, our, our idea of getting bloody after a show was very different than the idea of like, I don't know, like, you know, like Madball or Hatebreed or something like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, it was really this offering that had to do with us trying to level out with everybody. And, uh, that was like, oddly, it sounds so practical and normal, but, uh, this very, uh, uh, kind of unique thing in that, you know, from the music's sort of discordant speed and, uh, chaotic, you know, uh, you know, there was just, there was tears on stage all the time, you know, and, uh, there was times it was, it was, you know, now it would be thought of, well, I don't know how anybody thinks, but, uh, it was very common for a discussion to happen between songs that could last like 20 minutes with somebody in the audience, you know, and, yeah we were happy to put down our instruments for a second and cons- and we almost considered that more of an offering and important than like playing the jam from the seven inch. Uh, yeah. And we would have hours of discussions about actual legitimate issues in the world and seeing what we could do about it. And uh, I'm way more punk right now than I've ever been in the sense that it's a thing that grows into like a, you know, you develop it, you develop you de- your sense of uh, 
how you get over in the world. I mean, my Philadelphia background has a lot to do with uh, everything, I think. You know, the first European tour Ink Dagger went on, I booked from a cell phone, from a dialer on a payphone in Philly, you know. Sure. Uh, is uh, I spent more time, like, putting fake quarters in than talking. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which which I'll pull on that string. But were, were you actually born and raised in uh, Philly, or did you come up in another area? Uh, no, I was in Philly. Uh, so I was born in an area called Jenkintown. Um, and then uh, when we were, we had this like five bedroom Victorian house, like a big family. And uh, uh, when I was 12, we had a uh, part of the house was rented out and uh, my parents were split. It was just my mom. And uh, we she rented it to a woman, you know, uh, seemed all good. So you fast forward like six months or something, her like ex who was trying to track her down from Texas came and burnt the house down to a crisp. Um, and then we moved sort of closer into the center city area, like this Germantown, Chestnut Hill area. And uh, from like 13 on. Uh, but, you know, if I was, uh, you know, I was either a bike ride through Fairmount Park or a train ride away from like all the cool shit, you know? Yeah, for sure. And so you said you had a, a big family. Like, uh, how many brothers and sisters are you talking about? So I have three brothers and then a half brother and sister. So six, you might say. Yeah, that's a that is a large, uh, <laughs> a large family. And how yeah. how were you? Uh, I guess you know, as you started to develop your own identity, right. were you? You know, did you find yourself being outgoing? Were you a sports kid? Like, where did you find yourself well, gravitating towards? Up until ninth grade, so I, I had this meeting in ninth grade. So like se- maybe seventh or eighth grade, I started playing guitar and skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely like playing guitar under my blanket as quiet as possibly, sometimes all night, like with with joy in my heart while I was doing it, you know, like hiding from my parents or whatever. Some people might like mess with their phones now or something. Like I literally would have an electric guitar like and fake like it was a pillow. Um, but it it was, uh, um, uh, wait, uh, refresh me here. No, it's okay. I was just asking like, you know, where you, the identity, oh, you know, were you outgoing, you know, like yeah. you said, you yeah. discovered oh, right, guitar right, right, and skating. Right, right, so yeah. ninth grade, but I was literally the captain and quarterback of the football team. Um, and skateboarding and playing guitar. And I remember coming to this moment where I was, having this full realization of that sort of individual spirit. And I had, uh, you know, there was, uh, some scholarship opportunities for high school, like where football is a big deal. And I remember sitting in a comf- the, with like my guidance counselor or one of my parents or something. And I was like, I was like, there's absolutely no chance of me continuing to play football. I'm going to skate and play guitar. And, uh, I remember even in that moment, you know, the, uh, there's something to be said for like team identity, but uh, it felt horrible to me in the sense that um, I wanted to call my own plays. You know, I wanted to do this. And occasionally I would, you know. Uh, and uh, from there, it was just like, you know, by the time I was 13 or 14, I was just sneaking off to shows everywhere downtown. I was, uh, you know, heavily you know, experimenting with guitar and understanding like how you even do it. You know, I, uh, 
I, I think my dad had a acoustic guitar and when I first started playing, I would use a quarter and hit the strings as hard as I could, I could trying to make it sound like out of step. You know what I mean? Right. I didn't know there was like electric guitars in Amazon mode. Right. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> but if you smash it, but got my wrist really strong, smashing it with a quarter for a year. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to guess that your introduction to, you know, punk, hardcore, indie music, uh, that was probably via skateboarding or were you getting into it? It was definitely others? like the back of Thrasher, but uh, my older brother had like kind of a cool record collection. He, uh, you know, this sort of, uh, we're wildly different, but get along great. And uh, his music's kind of the same. It's uh, So he would have like, you know, like, the like uh fresh fruit for rotten vegetables and out of step but also like i didn't know the difference between that and like uh van halen for a while there or uh you know the fall or uh you know even like uh you know uh, i would basically rummage through his records and it took me a second probably when i was really young like 12 or something by the time i was like 13 i realized the full differences of things and i had already started a zine or something probably um and uh, that was instrumental. And then, you know, by the time I was 17 or 18, I was also like, you know, uh, volunteering at the wood, like the oldest anarchist bookstore in America, which is still around, the Wooden Shoe. Um, and just like was a member of the Industrial Workers of the World, IWW, like going to meetings. Like uh, this is in that pre-frail era where it was like, you know, I didn't have shoes for two weeks on tour, you know, it was no big deal. Right. So, uh so uh it it was all connected though to just like uh you know the power that comes with like expressing like yourself as authentically as possible you know which isn't for everyone uh and uh almost to pains sometimes you know it's a the funniest thing in the world would be mike the guitar player frail like his mother trying to understand the mess we were making in the basement it was like, because that sounded crazy to people. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, not even like, like some metally hardcore band you could totally even understand. Like this was like a really goofy something, uh, in in a very particular way. Um, you know, even like the 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 art and booklets and uh, you know. More in, inspired by like positive force DC or something than like uh, you know some other elements. Uh, you know the sort of whole evolution thing was definitely our, our uh, Steve's. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean that was I, I think for I mean a person like myself who I did not you know see yeah. you guys uh, or was ever watched or was able to see Frail from that perspective, but just you know getting into you guys after the fact and connecting the tissue of understanding the aesthetics and the way that you guys were presenting yourselves or it's like, you know, yeah, like we're a straight edge hardcore band, but we're not, (laughs) we are not connected to the stereotypical scene that is normally connected to. And just that, I I always like the connection. It's like the stereotypical, excuse me, but it's almost like the stereotypical scene that people perceived. We thought they were perceiving wrong. Right. You're like, think of it this way. We're like, no, you ran with it. It's, it's, I, I, if you ask me, it's still the same, but like, it'd be like, y'all just ran with this another way. And the guy who invented this is embarrassed. 
Oh boy, merchandise is the thing that keeps all of us happy, right? I mean, when you buy merch from bands, it makes them happy because they you're essentially a walking billboard for them, and uh, you have also supported their uh, their pockets, you know, when they're on tour. But what is the next best way to potentially engage with buying merch? That is rockabilia.com because all of their stuff is officially licensed. They will be able to ship it to you lickety split and Use this promo code, 100 words or less. That gets you 10% off your order, and you will be able to support this podcast, get a discount, and support the bands. They have over half a million items, all independently owned and operated. This business has been running for 20-plus years. I dare you to find another company that has that sort of longevity and sterling reputation that Rockabilia does. So anyways, rockabilia.com, the place to go. I will support them until... I am not, no longer talking in a microphone, and then probably even after that as well. So shout out to Rockabilia. 100 words or less is the promo code, 10% off. Do it. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of you know this person that maybe you know is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like, the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. The the connection that you guys had with uh, Chokehold I found interesting as well, just because you know Chokehold oh was that was great, right? Yeah. And and I I think I mean they were definitely a band that was um, you know sonically very different from you guys, but then also was left in center left of center to a lot of other bands yeah. just because I mean, they were so expressive. They could have sounded like anything. They're such good guys, and like you know the pain. I remember going up to Toronto for I played this fest on New Year's one year. Uh huh. And uh, we did it in the winter, obviously, but like, uh, I remember we had, we drove back to Philly from Toronto and one person had to lay on the bottom of the van and, and reach into the engine and because the accelerator was broken what, and give commands to the person up top about braking and accelerating for 10 hours. You know, and, and like with a smile on our face, like, you know, uh, like the most dangerous shit ever. Right. Uh, and then, you know, there was, there was this Bloodlet Chokehold tour, if I recall. I totally forgot about this. And there was like five shows, and we just showed up and played them, I believe. I don't think we were meant to be on it. Like, and Bloodlet was mad as fucking hell. And, <laughs> yeah, they're like, we, uh, this is a Chokehold yeah, Bloodlet tour. Who's this yeah, other band? Like, what the fuck are you, you doing? We're like, uh, you know, 
These are our friends. You're like Matt said it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, um, I also the you know your like frail sort of credo as it were was you know make your own noise and I, it's yeah. so simple and powerful. Was that just something that you guys like you know said to each other and were like oh that's cool let's put it on a record or whatever? Where did that come from? Well, it, it, like I was, I was saying a little bit earlier. Um, I must say a lot of the art influence, Mike, the guitar player was really like, you know, having like a 20 page booklet you put together yourself, as you probably know, for hundreds of things is incredibly time consuming, but couldn't be more important. And like, uh, you know, uh, there was a real shift because everyone was sort of, got a lot better at what they could accomplish on the various instruments pretty quick from the beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, there was hours of discussion, arguments, uh, you know, uh, meetings, like our idea of like, uh, being sort of socially active was a real thing, you know, it was more of a real thing than like the band that we were doing, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's often the other way around, you know, the message was like precisely what we were involved in, you know, it, uh, from like, even like, you know, you know, by design, I would never talk about it, but like ALF related things that have had nothing to do with this sort of like Syracuse vibe, you sure. know, it's like a whole nother thing, you know? Uh, they, no ego involved in it or need to have anyone else ever understand a literal, what is it, kind of like your output? Um, Eric, uh, he was, he, uh, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but he, he, that is very much what was going on with him. There was no, uh, for better or worse, that was as authentic as he, he could get, you know, it was, uh, great pains went over that. And then, and from our like young, you know, experience with this, this world we were involved in that, you know, would allow us to like jump in the most dangerous van ever and cruise on like nonstop cruise, you know, get stuck in like Wisconsin for four days. Uh, we used to go to Florida on weekends. Our drummer, Brian, at one point they, like his parents called him in as a runaway, you know? Right. Um, like that and it was like so normal uh but this was all like you know uh it wasn't like the band and then like are we going to live up to it it was more like you know uh like what have you actually accomplished how have you you know it's you know we we were starting all kinds of organizations uh you know it was really towards the end of frail when, you know, Sean from Ink and Dagger, who's like, you know, we were, we were stuck at the hip, would start coming to all of our shows. And I think it was really like, uh, and Sean as just like powerful enigma that uh, you're, it was impossible to be mad at. Um, you know, it was like, we got to do our own thing, you might say. And it, that's how the Mandela Strike Force, our band right before Ink and Dagger had started. Um from uh you know right uh, yeah something like that yeah <laughs> the um was there any uh, other sort of uh life path as it were for you in regards to 
you know, like, hey, let's, uh, yes, I, I'm going to continue to express myself right. and play in bands. Uh, was there, there any was, sort of there was plan? Never, even like, and to this very day, there was never a, a, a single shred of, you know, anxiety associated with uh, uh, be, the, the, the therapy and like uh, being able to be a professional musician artist is like, you know, every day I'm like, whoa, this is incredible. Sure. Um, and that I was a pursuit. Like, and I still work 80, 90 hour weeks if, if I'm in something, you know, and, uh, uh, and it's, it's my pleasure. And I feel so fortunate to have that sort of a outlet. And, you know, and I always have felt that way. And that sort of like ninth grade guidance counselor football meeting I, is when, when I started feeling this. And it's only gotten stronger and I've only gotten better at it. Right, right. Um, in fact, I, I couldn't look more forward to the next 20 years. Right? Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, it's like you can continue to pursue all of your, uh, you know, your passions and your uh, interesting interests. Yeah, well, they're developing from work before, you know, it's not just like this jumping around. Uh, I mean, the you know, the prospect of like having a career where, you know, this wasn't a part of it. Uh, would be fine. I'd do it if I what I had to do. But like, you know, I've worked. You know, it's a uh, beyond like anything financial or anything like that. I'm just really talking about the therapeutic value of uh, meditating out on something you might be working on. Is something like you know? I don't think like for instance, like my brothers have or a lot of people that it's kind of makes everything else all right, no matter what the fuck's going on. Yeah. For sure. And with uh, Ink and Dagger and the experience with that, um, I I think and from what I observed um, is that you guys definitely, you know, enjoyed pushing buttons and bumming people out in, you know, and it is sort of like tongue in cheek way, um, especially when you guys, you know, were rolling out the vampire aesthetic. Sure. Um, was that was that just incredibly fun to have that? sort of antagonistic relationship sometimes with people who are at shows or was that well, just your, for your own enjoyment? Uh, no, well, we thought it was required. I mean, it was getting so vanilla and the, uh, sort of, uh, you know, the idea of any kind of uh, like someone could punch you in the face basically. And that would be cool. Or like someone could like do a karate kick into your throat and that would be cool. But they anything emotional, which it all should be, like made people like you said bummed. Were they really bummed? No, because they were talking about that for like, or you know, it's providing these experiences. You know, there'd be shows in Philly where we have like just the lights literally off for a long time, like like at the church or something. You can't see the hand in front of you, and so people are disoriented before like, you know, the idea of having like. We didn't have like light shows and we didn't have like makeup and all of this. We had uh, a literal presentation to provide. And, uh, you know, sometimes Sean would go on tangents that these beautiful tangents about self awareness and about confidence, you know, uh, that it's literally make your own noise redux. Right. And anyone who ever did an interview with us that really thought that we thought we were vampires. We just let them have it because it's so fucking ridiculous. Right. <laughs> totally. You're like. Anyone that had a half a head on their shoulders, like, 
we'd be serious with. Right. Uh, so it was like, you know, a metaphor to promote, you know, and, you know, it's not like, you know, at that time and what, what the people we were about, you know, available to like make known to us, um, it, it did like, uh, you know, it, like, God forbid it was different. You know, it was like, we really could have not, there, there was no element of us really being worried about if we were accepted in a, you know, we would play with all kinds of weird bands. I mean, one one of those mistakes was with like uh, typo negative at the truck on Halloween, and <laughs> I didn't know you guys played with typo. That's amazing. So many bands we play with people don't know about because like you wouldn't because it's not like right. chronicled in the Hardcore Diaries, etc. Um, so there was like mad AC skins there, like these Nazis, and the whole crowd when we played, and this happened several times. Once in Switzerland and some other places. The, the whole crowd basically sat down and half of them had like sig hells up. Uh-huh. So anytime that happened, like we would be like, there's no chance of us performing our material for that. And would literally do noise sets. And Sean would talk shit to their faces and belittle them the entire time. Uh, uh, no fear. Right. And uh, that I remember way more than some like great set with people stage diving and shit. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, it was a. Uh, it was part of the. I mean, I. I then we toured with that was interesting. Who did you tour with? I'm sorry. L seven. Oh, <laughs> really? I didn't know that either. That's amazing. Yeah, like for a couple of weeks on the East Coast. Um, and, and you guys, I mean, it, from what I can tell, too, like the you know you guys obviously took the the music and the presentation and the art seriously, but the business side of it, um, you guys were probably, I guess, maybe yeah. not as focused on. <laughs> Was that, is that accurate? To say, uh, focus, we were really lucky because our crew in Louisville, like uh, initial records, yep, they were really good for considering like in those various elements. But you got to remember, like, it was still like our first seven inch with like the gravestone cut out and whatnot. Yep. Like we fully scammed when, you know, the classic thing, like Sean worked at Kinko. Sean had like a hundred thousand dollars worth of Kinko's. We had a Kinko's charging your card machine in our living room. It's perfect. Yeah. And, uh, that's, you know, and that's literally like, uh, so our idea of being good at business was making something sick past that. Everything was so different. I mean, the record stores I could walk to would buy tons of copies and sell them. Uh, did we have like, you know, some big distribution or something like never really, you know, uh, even like, you know, I remember we found the artist, which went on to be the, the, uh, cover of fine art of original sin, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, he was in Baltimore and it was like 11 o'clock at night. And this guy, Carlos Batts, and he did all this sort of photo manipulation without a computer, you know, it was all analog. And remember Sean and I saw some of them somehow. I couldn't even tell you how. And uh, we were so taken by it. We got on a bus to Baltimore at like midnight to find this guy. We didn't know anything. Like Bozo. And literally somehow found him. Begged Andy like for like a, like a thousand or two thousand dollars. Unheard. And we were like, it's going to be the art with nothing on it. He was like, nothing on it. I was like, well, shrink wrap and put the bullshit on that. The art cannot be fucked with. 
And uh, somehow he went for that. And that's like the front and back cover of that record, you know? Uh, And, uh, but that process of like, just going to Baltimore, just going for it, finding this guy, we, you know, you know, that was where the power was. That's where like when someone listening to it 12 years later, 20 or a week later, there's something in that, you know, Uh, a layman might call it soul or something, but it's really authenticity being packed in there. Um, and well, it, sa- it, it sounds it, it sounds like to me too. I mean, you guys were operating off of instinct in regards right. to your artistic impulses. You yeah. were just like, "This is what we were doing," and everything else can fall by the wayside. And the more of like a sort of Philly hustle it was, even if it was a bit of like an intellectual hustle or or like stealing credit cards, that gave a certain hue to it that felt extra bright to us you know right right yeah if if there is some you know uh, a light crime involved we're totally in oh man uh it's like we knew the guy who worked at the, you know there's a certain way to give someone back their credit card as a clerk where the chances of them not picking it back up go up in, incredibly uh, <laughs> and we, we would like get that call and go work you know that's how I got all like my like equipment. Uh, we would hustle everything, you know. Sure, um, sure. Were uh, did you also like you know while you were uh, you know putting out records and and being active with Ink and Dagger? Um, did you enjoy the uh, touring experience and kind of you know getting out in the road, or was that um, there was it was incredible? And uh, okay. to this you know to this very day, I really enjoy you know developing relationships with all these weird places over the world. But on those in particular, uh, Sham is just a literal spectacle to hang out with. Um, and, uh, he like, uh, you know, it was very exciting to like, you know, we've been in a lot of awkward situations. Like our first tour was like a nightmare beyond our first tour ever. Somehow we, the bright idea was no one ever tours like deep Canada like Calgary, Edmonton, Regina Beach, you know, like we literally did like all Canada. That was our first tour. It was an all Canadian tour. Like it's like half of it got destroyed and it was insane time, but you know, also amazing, like very exciting. Um, uh, and I don't know if like we played somewhere and, Dude, the dude ran off with the 280 bucks that we earned that night or something. Fuck yeah, we're stealing his PA. Like, right. how are, we, are you kidding me? Like, how were we going to get her anyway? And not only that, it's just like, there's a certain, you know, or, but, you know, nothing was ever out of any spirit that wasn't, um, you know, uh, with manners. Right. There was some there. It was like, yeah, like we're cool as long as you don't cross us. Because if you do, then obviously you have yeah, to. But like, not in some like I'm going to get you violent way. Like, right, right. Sean would leave letters all on tour for bands. He would start these like wars with over leaving notes for each other at venues we were all playing together, like within weeks or months. You know, what, what sort of what sort of like what letter relationships did you guys have with bands? Uh, we were at war with Rye Coalition and at the drive-in. Okay. And we would write them horrible letters that would get them to, just to push, you know, he was the first person I ever knew that could like cancel someone's like, you know, early hacker meetings, like just 
cancel your whole email, like just gone forever. Um, you know, right. uh, he's also responsible for the first internet death. I, many people agree, uh, in which, you know, he'd have these, like, he'd be these long term, like, you know, there might be like some student at Drexel that he prank calls for like a year and a half straight. And then like sells them some fake tickets or something, calls them and be like, that was me. Uh, you know, uh, the semester will be over and they'll like hack his new number and be like, I'm back and like call him every day. There's so many phone calls of these like elaborate prank, like two pizza places on the boardwalk and call one of them and be like, oh man, bring all of your cheese to the middle. My guy will meet you. You know, and the satisfaction of calling him later and being like, we stole your cheese. Like, you know, it wasn't like we're going to hurt you. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. So uh, what prompted you? I mean, I uh, I mean, I, I saw Ink and Dagger a couple of mm. times when you guys came out here. And then, you know, especially like after you had uh, signed with Buddyhead and sure. arguably, I mean, honestly, I love that last LP. I think a lot of people um, don't <laughs> just because you guys right. continue to... Push Man, yourselves. It was so it's so deep that one. I mean, the uh, the last song ever with that lock groove. Uh, you know, the last song uh, is is Charles Burkowski lyrics, and we just never even fucking like told anyone, and no one ever knew. And that was like our like people don't even. There's so many things that are deep about that record. I could tell you. I love that's definitely the one to me to uh, just getting uh, understanding the studio better and just. Uh, experimenting with things beyond my uh, sort of uh, wheelhouse. Um, well, yeah, it seemed it, it, to me, it seemed like you guys had, you know, fully blossomed into this, like, okay, we are a band that is, you know, can be categorized as a rock band, but at right. the same time, like there's so much like psychedelic. Intu- <laughs> yes, my, totally. My, my buddy, uh, Andrew has that, this one of those uh, sort of like instrumental interludes as his, uh, his uh his ring on his phone (laughs) nice nice had um at at that point had you all relocated to la or was it just a few of you no well at that point uh nobody was in in, uh we were just uh you know a lot happened uh before all that we had uh flown out here for a show and had a horrible car accident coming from the airport to highland park in which, like, a drummer broke his femur. I got, you know, Sean, Sean didn't get a scratch on him, but the four other people in the car got really messed up. The Locusts took our place for the shows we had booked and, like, hooked us up, which was very nice. Um, and coming out of that, it was from this record. We got picked up at the airport from this gentleman from this label and crashed on our on the way out of the airport. <laughs> wow. Uh, really badly um, on the 110. Uh, and then, you know, we had known about those dudes because I remember uh, we were playing in Chicago, like Fireside Bowl or something, and not unlike Frail did, but Chokehold, Icarus Line was like, can we sneak on a bunch of shows? I think I arranged for three or four of them, but I was like, yeah, but like, starts in Chicago. That's like, and they they earlier. And they were like, fine. So they show up in Chicago in a pickup truck with two of their dudes in the back of it from LA. Like, straight up. Right. So that was, like, in the back of a pickup truck from LA to Chicago. And, like, a, a couple of marshals. And, um, 
uh, and that's how we met this that whole LA. I'm sure Travis was with him or something. Uh, and then uh, you know, we were that last record was for this other label. Uh, that label, uh, because of that accident and all kinds of uh, politics and drama, ceased being a label. Um, and uh, Buddy had, uh, you know, stepped they, in and put it. Yeah, in. yeah, they they were stoked. Um, now before all that, you know, of course now before that even came out and before Sean passed away, you know, I had, uh, basically moved to Sweden for a couple of months to jam refused. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Uh, it was before the shave of punk to come record came out and before my last record or the last ink and dagger record came out, we had a mutual friend that was like, you should hear this like, you know, long before it came out. And, uh, they were actually looking for a bass player. I went over there, uh, and because uh, I mean, you know, Sean was going through some things and uh, dealing with some issues and getting weird, and I was like, very, uh, you know, I was moving. I was ready to keep doing things, uh, and uh, you know, even like Josh, who the bass player who sings a few of the songs on the last record, uh, which is also fascinating to me, uh, you know. A little bit was because Sean, when he was available, was brilliant, but sometimes not fully available. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was really after Sean passed away that that record even came out. And uh, right. So and then I, uh, you know, not too long after that, Icarus Line uh, had this like uh, deal with V2 or something. and. Uh, I came out to help them and then wound up staying and running around the world, the world with them for a while, which was also like uh, great fun until it wasn't, you know, right. <laughs> right, right. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. 
We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And that, and I mean, part of like it's so difficult to explain that whole you know early two thousands scene you know i mean surrounding buddy head and you know indie sleaze and whatever you want to call it (laughs) where and and also it with the icarus line like that you know to say there was a you know chaos that surrounded the band you know from you know drinking and drugs and just like the raucous nature of the shows was it um i guess was it difficult to (laughs) kind of you know sort of stay stabilized within that or you were just basically like yo i'm along for the ride well it wasn't difficult it it proved to be impossible you know okay you know uh there there's a certain uh i like you know and uh you know like miles davis says if you hear yourself loudest make sure that shit's on purpose and everybody was on purpose instead of one person you know like it was coming so hard and uh you know, if, uh, you know, commonly Aaron would like throw his fucking cabinet into the crowd or something. Uh, right. and I grew up, you know, of, like in like a Greg Ginn, like the idea, if I like broke my arm in the middle of a, uh, artistic plea, it would almost be acceptable. You know, it like the pain that comes with dying from dope while you're Ornette Coleman writing up the, the symphony, is almost romantic. And, uh, I always thought black flags kind of like, you know, Greg, it's, uh, uh, and there was a lot of that or like the stooges or like, uh, uh, being, you know, there's a mental state that can happen. Or like, no matter what band you may be, uh, where you can really like, so like sick feeling a band I did. I will still kind of do it, but a few years ago, like when, when I was in active playing, uh, and you put a camera in my face, I'm going to kick you as hard as I possibly can and feel okay about it because like, it's just not where I'm at. You know, if, uh, so if someone else, like there's a, there's like a display of aggressive energy that can be, uh, not this, uh, have the sort of after effect of violence, you know, like it can be something else. And so we would mess with some of that, but, but like all things, you know, it was, uh, it was limited, but we were like, you know, we had a situation where we could like survive and run around the planet. And I've all, I've never not been doing 10 other things. Uh, and, uh, you know, in that time, Joe, the singer and I went to Australia to make a record for a month. You know, no one's basically ever heard, uh, cause soul, she said, uh, you know, there's always things going on that, that proved to be like really kind of toxic. And then it stopped, you know? Sure. Sure. And I mean, with, with all of these experiences and because, you know, you, like you said, you're doing so many things at once and you're probably, you're, you know, the hyperactivity was, was real. <laughs> what, yeah. um, you know, I, I guess what keeps you sort of anchored or focused, whether it's like, you know, mm-hmm. the spiritual practice, whether it's just like the actual act of creating art or, you know, what did it, what is it that yeah. you hold on to? Well, uh, it probably is spiritual, but it's not in the realm. I'm trying to hear any human tell me they can explain. Um, it would be almost silly in, in my view. Sure. But, 
but you could call it the practice. I mean, I work as hard as I possibly can with a smile on my face when it's on art. It's like a, a joy. I couldn't even like, you know, I've had like, you know, you know, I'll be like in tour in Japan and then next year working at the pizza shop, you know, it's been you know, like very, you know, like many things. And I never overlook the, the joy of being able to uh, help someone make a record at my studio or like, uh, you know, be music director for something and, and really give it the most authentic version of what I can give. Even if it means like, Losing a couple of days off the end of my life, it's well worth it. Right. And the, <laughs> sure. the, joy, the joy that comes with not, you know, you can let you, you can like let yourself down and you can like disappoint yourself and all these various things. Um, and we're all just sort of trying to na- navigate and reasonably uh, accept the limitations of what we have available to achieve. And um, that relationship is what I think is spiritual and developing it. And I'm only getting better at it. And I only, uh, you know, if someone asks me, what instrument do you play? I confidently say all of them now, you know, uh, like I will make it musical and uh, not in like some douchey way, but like, honestly, uh, you know, I've been involved in a lot of film things the last few years, you know, uh, done a few scores, uh, which can be like from an iPhone or like two inch tape, you know, it's really like, you know, uh, how, how, you know, you know, in seconds how something's going to affect you typically. And, uh, there's something behind those seconds that comes with like weight and like, uh, you know, uh, it comes with like, uh, again, some sort of authenticity. You don't even have to like it or whatever, but you know, it's, uh, you know, the expression is real. You might say, I guess. I mean, it sounds corny, but it's like, uh, that's, you know, uh, my current band collapsing scenery played in like an Eagles lodge in uh, LA the other night where there's like barely been ever been a show. And like the idea of like that, that band, we almost exclusively play venues where there's not shows just because, you know, the sort of, version space that you can put this energy into is like is everything to me you know playing some club that shows seven nights a week and they're marketing and they're like here it is for your entertainment you know uh to this very day providing something uh, authentic you know the the lyrics of uh reggie the singer uh now they're like more it's like the most political band i've ever been in we I mean, we went to palestine to do a track with the palestinian hip-hop collective you know we went uh uh, our last double album starts at a cave in Iceland with the longest reverb known about where the Vikings, uh, you know, they would pray there because uh, the reverb was so long. It was more of a chance to get where it wasn't going. But, right. Um, well, yeah, uh, just, it, it sounds, I mean, in the continual quest that it seems like you are on is just to not only engage with people who you enjoy collaborating with or creating yourself and then doing things that frankly, and this is going to sound stupid, but just like, Oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> the, the more outlandish in a way that like, that sounds cool, but like, really? Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I've had some like um, in- incredible people around me on occasion willing to support um 
the sort of concept of authenticity we're, we're trying to reference here, um, you know, uh, that is, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, it's just really boring, you know, it's uh, like the excitement of art comes from like, often it, it can come from, you know, beauty, it can fear, like, you know, whatever it may be, but you can't leave out any of the elements. Cause then it's just like, you know, you know, like, uh, it's, a uh, to this very day, everyone's always like, what genre would you put that in? I'd be like, I most certainly like wouldn't first of all, uh, because, and if you had to like, I, you know, uh, I do a lot of solo shows now, which are, is basically like, you know, live techno with guitar and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, to like, uh, you know, to like, uh, country music on occasion if I have to, uh, but all giving the same sort of output, uh, whatever that may be. Uh, it's not unique to me, but it, it is unique to my experience because, you know, that's what I got. Sure. Sure. Uh, a few things I want to hit on before I let you go was, um, do you, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you produced a super unison record, right? Oh, with Albini in Chicago, which was funny because like you have like the when Kevin asked me, you know, he's just like, yeah, I got like Devor and Albini, yeah. But it's also like that guy like famously hates having outside producers in the studio, which, right. I, which <laughs> right. I kind of fucking understand. So it took a you know it, that was a really funny week that ultimately, uh, you know, I think the band was happy, but uh, we yeah had a couple of funny like little back and forth with him. Yeah, because I, I just like when. You, I honestly, I mean, I, I really enjoy that record. I did not know. I just did not look at the liner notes. And so yeah, it, yeah. It, it seems like, again, you kind of just, you know, when you're asked and you're presented an opportunity, it's just like, oh yeah, this is a friend or I like the band. Like, oh, this, this sounds interesting. So I'll do it. Um, yeah. Do you, like, person, do you, there's this band Love Lauren from Philly. I did like last year or right before the pandemic. And uh, Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, there's some like German guys. I have some tracks coming out with soon. That's more like uh, electronic key stuff. But yeah, of course, it's a. Uh, uh, I'm I'm happy to be considered for whatever, and I'm you know, uh, I just had a Lily's tour. I've been music director of for like six years. This like you know very popular like shoegazy uh, band from the early '90s that I was a big fan of in high school that I've been working with for a long time. Uh, you know it's a, uh, that's like the spice, right? Like my friend Sam says, like, uh, like literally doing your idea of cool shit is like the answer to all these complex problems. Like, uh, personally, uh, developmentally, which some people might call spiritually, uh, you know, it's like really like the answer to the book, the secret to your fucking attitude. You know what I mean? So like, uh, <laughs> right like PMA, if you got a uniform choice, it is like so fucking powerful. And, uh, you know, it's like a real thing. And, uh, that makes big difference in lives. Unlike most of the bullshit we talk about. Yeah, um, no, for sure. It's, all, and it's also not my job to like convince anybody of anything. Yeah. Um, well, it, it all, it also, I mean, like you're talking about your musical and art trajectory, um, you know, like you're building off of everything that you've done before. And I, I like how it seems like there yeah. is no, you don't look back on any of your earlier work as being just like, Oh, like that's, you know, that's like kid stuff or whatever. Like you don't want to talk about it. Whereas some uh, people, yeah. I mean, we you know, slaved are, over that in uh, a way, if I didn't respect it, I probably wouldn't be a musician anymore. 
you know, it's part of that, the evolutionary building. And like I said, uh, you know, there's this, you know, it's very common, especially in the States, like, you know, let's say you're like a 59 year old aspiring sculptor in Belgium or somewhere in Europe or very, especially Japan. And you, you know, you did some outside jobs and, but you had your like art studio and you got commissions here and there. People would be like proud of you there because their relationship with the arts, they'd be like, he's doing his thing. Blah, blah. Here they'd be like, uh, in most places, you'd be considered like some person that never got started with life, you know, uh, or there's a whole different relationship with the arts. So like the continuum forward is, is literally the only path forward. Like right. forward is forward as far as philosophy goes, you know, and, uh, which means it's up to you how that step goes. Uh, right. But no. you're not, but you're not, I mean, I, I think my point is like, you're not obviously, you know, embarrassed, not embarrassed, embarrassed is probably a bad word, but like yeah, just yeah, the I'm, idea that you can look back at your stuff and be like, oh yeah, like, uh, you know, I, I was proud of that for that time as opposed to like, oh, that's kid stuff. Yeah. It's not like I'm going to listen to it now, but uh, I'll put that energy up against fucking anything. Uh, any day of the week and uh you know the the you know there's so many secret little elements on the last record people still don't know um and uh you know and by the way i really appreciate you asking me to do this because uh you know i usually say no (laughs) (laughs) no and i i i I appreciate you saying yes because i know that that's not um you know sometimes people are just like well i don't want to talk about all of like my stuff it's (laughs) maybe we just talk about one thing um yeah yeah. i mean i could i could tell 10 hours of sean stories each one more (laughs) mind-blowing you know i mean it's like (laughs) oh for sure no he's he's endless well well uh, two two last things i want to hit on was the um when you did those ink and dagger reunions and obviously you had Jeff singing for you and, you know, oh. you, that was, uh, I mean, to me, I know it was really uh, special. A lot of people yeah. you know, found a lot of value in it. And, um, it, it seems like that experience was really joyful for you guys to be able to come together and obviously do it for, you know, not only a good cause, but yeah. then play these songs you haven't played in, in a lot of time. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, you know, you know, uh, we were all I know is like our our one of Sean's good friends had a uh, had a, a uh, believe a son who was an infant who uh, needed help and it was a way to get him a few thousand dollars and uh, that's how that happened. But yep. I think you know I didn't know if, uh, uh, Jeff before that. My uh, friend Robbie put it; it was kind of his idea. Um, and uh, you know, one of my favorite things Jeff did through that those shows was. He he never said a single word between songs, which I really appreciated. <laughs> yeah, just the the even trying, just like he would, you know. And this is after us really getting in it together. You know, he it was almost you might like like method acting or something where that sort of <clears throat> that sort of me- metabolic meditative sense that can also produce the sort of perceived violence I was talking about earlier also can do things like shut you the fuck up, you know? Uh, yeah. It can do things, you know, it's, uh, you know, I remember there was 13 bells in the dark. The start, the, the first, like, like the count for the intro of changeling at that, this is hardcore fest at least was 13 bells, which no one ever put that on. But, right. Um, <laughs> uh, and the list starts that, you know, that, that's sort of like films are a lot like that. You know, you can watch, 
classic old film and if it's with someone who knows the re- the references get incredibly uh deep and then you look it up and you're like are you fucking kidding me they went through the trouble for that it's like yeah so 30 years later you would have this realization <laughs> right totally yeah that you could bring this up anecdotally in an interview yeah for sure yeah, right and that's that the sort of like clamp of perceived soul that gets entrenched in things and maybe gives it a life beyond the moment yeah for sure for sure um and the last thing like you were actually referencing i was you, you kind of mm-hmm. broke the lead of the idea that uh you know talking about sean as a a very you know unique individual and very singular person and like you said mm-hmm. you know you could fill a whole you know 10 hour podcast of just his stories um you know, like if you were to, you know, pull a story out of your head that, uh, you know, kind of symbolizes him as a human being, um, you know, what yeah. kind of springs to your mind there? I mean, literally, the, there's all the antics. And when I think of Sean, I think about his relationship with his family, his brother, me. Uh, and, you know, he was such an incredible sweetheart at the end of the day. And that's why he had so many intense relationships. And But it would also you know, it would spur things like, uh, like for instance, at Middlesex going to see one of those like set, like community college in Jersey, uh, you know, there were, there was like that yogurt in, incident that's with. Oh yeah. With right. <laughs> the yogurt now, incident. Yes. Right. Now, uh, the gentleman who had like, uh, I think it was Patrick that had like a cow suit on, and uh, stage dove right after Sean, who was standing next to me, threw yogurt on them. These like babies couldn't even handle that without a riot. You know what I mean? Like, got it was like the the level of you know sort of conformity that was happening around that sort of stuff at the time uh, to us had to be rejected. You know, it was like you know it was like uh, showing up on like, you know, a boat to Massachusetts and like, you know, 1500 or something that sort of level level of, uh, and so that, you know, things like that are a reaction to that. He, did he do it to hurt anyone? No, he, it was literally authentic. It was like, uh, it had to be started up because what was happening, like, you know, wasn't healthy. Like, uh, right. Well, it seems like you got like that, that element of, you know, doing, uh, pranks, you know, being, um, you know, edgy, controversial, whatever you want to call it was it all like pranks. Like, like you see on a prank show, oh, was right. that pranky? It, 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 there was literally like this undertone of intellectual principle always. Right. Like you, you wanted to make sure that people were not taking themselves so seriously and to be like, like calm down guys. As a, a way to inspire any sort of self-confidence and realization that you don't have to just do exactly what the fuck you think you have to do. You know, the whole Philadelphia society of future vampires, which we would get like hundreds of, uh, very humorous, uh, applications. From kids. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, like I was saying with people in interviews, like anyone who like literally thought we thought that it was like, we would just let them keep thinking it. Cause it was, they were obviously were in such a different place. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I, I, if you have time though, you know, what spurred out of that thing with that band, uh, earth crisis a year later at a festival in Belgium in which they were playing on us, we were playing on like the promise ring day and they're playing the next day with, uh, 
uh, more oriented bands like themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we played that, you know, this, everyone had heard about this and it was another thing where we had like 500 kids sitting down while we played. And so we just did a noise set, which was fucking awesome. I always like those. Right. Uh, wouldn't dare the music and things we sweat. We can give them the respect back of that. Um, after the show, unknown to us a day early, the entire crowd saw the earth crisis at like, Right after the Earth Crisis bus was rolling up to the show, so like everybody knew, like you know, what there's someone in the band named like Mad Dog or some you know ridiculous fourteen year old shit, and uh, you know, it was like holy shit, they're like coming to get Sean right now, right? That's like why they showed up early. It's why all the kids here, you know. Uh, came on the day they didn't even want to come to, to literally to protest us. So we're already winning. We're already making way more an impact than like some mosh part ever will uh, in our in our minds. Sean's first reaction when that bus was rolling up from two blocks away was to start running at the bus and be like, where is he? Fast forward two hours later with hundreds of kids in a circle listening to this debate, Sean basically got you know, uh, crazy dog or whatever to apologize to him. Uh, and as the bus was rolling off with them apologizing, being boys, he like yelled pussies at him or something. The whole crowd laughed. We win and went home, you know, like it would be like situations like that. Right. Uh, the confidence was beyond like right. the whole 500 kids are like, Oh my God, they're coming to kill you right now. These like notorious psychopaths that like use violence as communication more than, other shit uh and he ran towards the bus you know like I, I would see examples like that all the time and uh you know what they were better for it because no one wanted to fight anyone you kidding me we wanted we wanted to have a dialogue even if we had to force it out of someone more familiar with other ways of talking you know like uh that's a prime example on that but you know he was uh you know very inspirational in my uh various musics i got exposed to you know well beyond uh even like uh your normal uh everyday one too he had a very eclectic taste uh famously oh boy wasn't that just a chat he is such a nice guy and a very open individual about all of his artistic endeavors and just the fact that he's like, you know, man, I just want to make music. I want to like do these unconventional things. I'm not going to live life by the books and standards that other people have put forth. So I really appreciate that about Don and I really appreciate him making this conversation happen um, because uh, he didn't need to entertain my, my constant punishment, but he did, he engaged with me and maybe that was his fault. <laughs> All joking aside, thank you very much, Todd. Next week, I have, and I'm totally going to butcher his last name because uh, that's what I do here, John Sharbach. I think that's how you say it, John Sharbach from Give. If you are not familiar with Give, an amazing hardcore band from the D.C. area. They are no longer in existence, but uh, yeah, I've always been 
very interested in this person because uh, John seems, and he is, a very creative individual, not only in the arts as far as music is concerned, but in the physical space as well. He did uh, something that a lot of people watched, the Tiny Desk concert with uh, Turnstile for NPR. He did that whole backdrop of cool stuffed animals, and yeah, I just, anyways, had to have John at the show, and that's what we are doing next week. So, until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs) Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Tuesday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.